2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and today's episode is with my brother. So he's he's my brother so much that my kids call him Uncle Johnny. That's how much this dude is my brother. And um, man... It's like he says in the podcast, every one of these podcasts is different and everybody has a different testimony, a different place that they're coming from. And his is, I don't even know how to describe it, um, but it's from someone who's been in the church, born in the church, um, and just kind of the journey that he's been on. And it's been an incredible journey where God has just been revealing himself in a different way. And so I feel like I say the same thing at the beginning of every podcast, that there's just God revealing his love to his people. And uh, I mean, I wish I could say something else, but I can't. And I don't, actually probably don't even wish I could say something else. So it is, uh, it's good stuff. And I'm excited that you get to listen to it and hear his heart. Uh, one more thing. What is today? Today is the 23rd. Uh, in about three weeks from tomorrow, Valentine's Day 2021, Love Reality is dropping something crazy. I've been trying to warn y'all. Man, I've been, <laughs> I've been trying to tell y'all. Uh, I've looked at it. It's awesome. I can't wait till you guys get to see it and experience it and go through it. Um, and it's just going to be a huge blessing, I know, to so many people. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And um, outside of that, strap in, buckle up. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo, Richard, are you about to do the podcast? Check the price.
That year for me was probably like the most disrespectful year of my life. Like before that, I was just young enough and innocent enough to not really be disrespectful by default. But I think at that point, as I was like coming into high school, it would be insecurities of, you know, wanting to be popular or wanting people's attention and spiked in that environment of high school. Looking back, I'm kind of actually analyzing this as I'm thinking about it right now, but I think that just manifested in this, uh, just like a, a lust for attention. And so mm -hmm. that was at the cost of, it was at the expense a lot of times of my teachers or other students. And so it was like, I remember like this wasn't, this wasn't who I really was growing up. Like I was, I was generally a nice enough kid, I think. But yeah, at that point, it was just like, it wasn't really based on a relationship with God. It was just based on default growing up, you know, in a Christian bubble. And so that year, I remember like getting kicked out of a And it was just because I was being hyper, just being disrespectful, just talking over teachers, just trying to get people to laugh, just being a class clown. Um, I, one memory sticks out with me maybe towards the end of that year. So I was running with this other dude that we were kind of partners in crime in that. And he would egg me on and I probably did to him too. And I remember him like saying, okay, I'm going to sit, I'm going to like get on my hands and knees behind this girl and you go and push her and, and we'll like do this in front of everybody. And I was like, okay, that's funny. Um, and so he, he totally, he, he dove right behind her. I ran up and pushed her. This is a friend of mine. And she fell over backwards. And I like what I was expecting was laughter everywhere. Like even from her, I guess, I, I think it was just like supposed to be all funny. And like the look on her face, like the pain on her face and just like the embarrassment and the sadness. I think there was a, like a little bit of a pinprick of a moment of like, what are you doing? Um, but it didn't really stop that year until the summer Wait, after my hold on what year. did she do what did she do you can't leave us hanging i think she that. started crying actually no she started crying she looked really embarrassed oh, no. and looked at she gave me a look like why would you do that to me and like got up and left and i was like left it was like one of those things where you were expecting to end in laughter but it ended in like just feeling nasty inside and and like what am i doing um so I wish I, I could like, say I've only had one or two of those. Like right <laughs> when you're telling the story, like six of them jump up in my mind. And it was me and my buddy, Michael Paradise, that were doing all of this. And shout out to Michael Paradise. I love him. He's he's a wonderful person. But just gut wrenching where we did something at somebody else's expense and we thought they were going to laugh. They did not laugh. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. It totally changes the the atmosphere. Um I was just in a mode of like not paying to anybody else but myself, their feelings, what I was putting them through. And yeah, I think it was all coming from insecurity and a, a desire for attention. Anyway, after that freshman year going into the summer, my mom came to me at one point and she's like, I don't know if she was calling me Johnny at that point or Jonathan or whatever, but she's like, the school board had a meeting to decide whether they want to let you back in next year. I was like, what? Why? And she's like, because you're just so disrespectful and so hard on your teachers. And I was like, what? Like, that was a first moment for me that I kind of realized it was serious a little bit. And it kind of got me thinking. And then going into that summer, also like thinking about coming back together with friends and realizing like, I didn't really actually feel like I had any friends. Like as much as I could easily be in the center of a group and making people laugh. And I wasn't like, I don't know. I was, I was in the, I was in the mix, you know, if people were hanging out, Mm -hmm. but getting to the summer and like realizing I didn't actually have any person that I thought cared about me in any of these groups, um, which was important to me because I've, you know, it was this insecurity. Um, but I just realized like everything was shallow, like everything that I'd been doing that year led to all of the shallowness. And it was like in the pursuit of wanting friendships and relationships in a sense, in a way, wanting affirmation more um, and realizing after the whole year of it all, like having nothing to show for it and just feeling really lonely and disconnected from everyone. So that got me thinking too. So my heart was kind of like opening up and um, so I, <laughs> I'm a child of the early eighties, Christian family home. Um, I listened to Carmen. I, <laughs> I know <laughs> I knew one time, say it, Carmen. Yeah, you knew Carmen was coming one I time. Okay. I'm this is jumping ahead now, but riding with you and Natalie and Alyssa in the car. And I like tried to play one Carmen song for you guys and you clowned on me so it. hard that I couldn't, yeah, <laughs> couldn't even finish the song. No. Uh, I think that, I think that guy has like, the the most album sold or of christian records ever or something i think he holds some record which is kind of amazing like his sound is totally i i get it like you grow up listening to it and that wasn't your only first cassette tape that you had and you had nothing else to listen to i get it his style is interesting he's like a italian new yorker that uh tells stories with his music anyway so i'm listening to this song that i'd listened to many times growing up and it's a Friday night. We're heading, you know, it's for us, we're going into Sabbath. I'm laying in my bed and just trying to fall asleep. And I'm listening to this song. I've heard it, I don't know how many times. It's a song about um, Jericho, Joshua. And in the end, there's like a crescendo of the walls coming down. So I did not see this coming. God snuck up on me in bed that night. And as I was like listening to the crescendo, all of a sudden, like his Holy Spirit just was like, you've got walls around your heart that are coming down tonight. And I was like, what? And all of a sudden, like a sensitivity just opened up and just, I just started bawling in bed and like his love just kind of flowed over me. And I'd never felt that before. It was like my first one-on-one personal contact with God. And I was probably like 13 or 14. Hmm. And that's kind of what I attribute as being the first, like the first nudge 
of the needle in a new direction. And it didn't change a lot for me. But one thing it changed was like, I just knew God was good. I was a goody two shoes. I'd never done drugs, but like to drug addicts who find Jesus, they'll, they'll tell you, like, listen to like that guy from corn, his testimony, Brian head or what, you know, whatever his name is. Like, he'll tell you getting like an experience with Jesus like that is better than any drug that you could ever have. And it's easy to see why God doesn't relate to us on that level at all times, because then we'd just be going to him for a hit. Like we would be going to him for ourselves because it feels so good. Um, but feeling that that one night was enough to change my life forever to the point where it's like, I at least know that that's what I want. Like he's what I want. He is so good. I want to spend eternity with him. Um, it was enough to plant all of those seeds like in that one night. And, and my sophomore year didn't like, it wasn't like all of a sudden everything was a 180, but it definitely changed. It changed my life. It changed my relationships. And then by the time we got to my senior year at Maplewood, um, it was, it was all positive relationships and God was a big part of my life. Um, it, it was, Man, I, I almost feel bad for making fun of Carmen now. I almost feel Oh bad yeah. You should feel, yeah. Carmen. No, if it wasn't for the gospel, you should feel really bad about that. But if it wasn't for the gospel, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So yeah, this, so understanding that God was good, it didn't drastically change your behavior from one moment to the next, but there was it, something. It, it changed it. It, it was just that there is, you know, as the years keep going, which we'll, we'll get into change continues to grow like and and that's that's kind of even even when you understand the finished work like we're still growing we're growing mm-hmm. in intimacy we're growing in perspective like there's growth we're going we're growing from grace to grace like we're in we're living in a grace that's awesome and free and, and beautiful and wonderful and it's only getting better like and that's kind of what i think my my perspective or experience has been with god I think that reputation from even just freshman year followed me for quite a while. It was that potent. Um, but it, it, it was different by the time I was a senior and actually, you know, we can get into, it felt like college was a little bit of a regression for me. Like one of the highest being, you know, college and high school for me of, of walking comfortably in a relationship with God and, like feeling his presence, his spirit manifesting through me. It was probably my senior year of high school. Um, when I got to college, there was like, I, so I went, I went to Andrews and uh, Andrews universities in Michigan. Always away from Minnesota. And I've, I've pretty much been like kind of a close to home kind of kid. And so I went, I go over there and you know, the experience had been so good by my senior year at Maplewood and the friendships I had and like hardly any of my friends came over there. Uh, I get over there and kind of discover that, you know, other people have had their close friends as well. They're all coming in and it's, I'm finding it hard to like break into these circles and I'm finding it hard to make new friendships. And it's, it had the effect kind of starting to send me to a little bit of a darker place, like my freshman and sophomore year. Um, I remember this is just a quick little testimony insert, but I remember like my first birthday after getting to, so my birthday's in November, school starts, you know, August. So a few months into 
school. Um, I've had a few months to experience like the loneliness of trying to break into to friend groups that's not really working. Um, I've got this roommate that we're kind of super estranged and just totally into very different things. Um, and so we kind of don't talk like in the evenings. We'll, if we are both in the room, which we try to avoid, um, we'll just sit in, <laughs> in silence and listen to what I, what I thought at the time was really weird music. I met that brother at a GYC later and found out we both like let, let Jesus transform our lives. And we were so excited with each other. Um, but at that time we were kind of like trying to avoid each other. Uh, I, on my birthday, I was, dorm room with a pile of homework no friends and feeling sick and just it was like one of the lowest moments of mm-hmm. being, like uh just feeling awful and i think it, something inside me just kind of cried out to god like this is so um and it, like within a few minutes i hear this knock on my door this only happened once you know in the three years that i was in the dorm there but it happened that night all of a sudden i hear a knock at the door and some some brother from the dorm was walking around just asking if people need prayer for anything. He came to my door and just asked me like, what can I pray for you for? And it was probably some like really selfish request or something, but God used that moment to just be like, I'm here with you. Um, which was sweet, but, but the experience that, um, that loneliness and anyway, just the, it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting more of high school kind of sent me down into a dark place. So you you know, I've been listening to, to the interviews. I just got to listen to Lauren Fogg, you interviewed. Um, yeah. She was there at, at one point, And I remember, I think this was the only time I admitted it to anybody. Um, but I was in a car with her driving around and she was like kind of asking me, like, I think I was, I was visibly like manifesting that I'm in a little bit of a darker place. And I think she started asking questions. And I think that was the only time I admitted to somebody that, I felt like, yes, I want to be close to God in, in an ultimate long run kind of a way, but I, okay, so here's probably one of the the first lies that I could identify. It was the lie that you have to go far from God to be close to him. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I'd always seen. That's all the testimonies I'd ever heard. It felt like you, the only way to get to God was via rubber band, like mercy. And, and I, you know, in that first freshman, you know, summer experience, I knew enough that I didn't want to run away from him. So I was doing this really awkward, like run, not run, like. I'm running away from that, home. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like when, when you're a little kid and you run away from home and then you like go around the block and you're, you're like, ah, I'm going back. Um, yeah. So it was like, I wasn't actually running far. I was like listening to maybe a little bit darker music or something, but it was just like my pansy attempt to like push God away. Cause I wanted to have a testimony where I could come back and be more intimate with him. But that was actually the thing that I was, I was actually wanting. So it was like, it was hard to push him away. It was, it was really like just a, I don't know, a silly place to be in. But I think it's funny that, um, this idea of you, I, I just think of the uh, Kevin Kevin Hart stand-up routine where he talks about he's running away from home and he leaves the house, but then he comes back in because he forgot He-Man. So he gets his He-Man and he puts it in his bag <laughs> and he's like, and now I'm leaving. And I just think of you uh, 
uh, yeah. passive aggressive with God or maybe yeah. aggressive aggressive with God. Just like, I want to leave, but I want to have this experience with you, but I haven't had it. So maybe this like kind of, is that kind of what it was? Explain that a little bit more. Uh, so I don't know, I guess a, a little more background for somebody who doesn't know me. Yeah, man. I, I feel like I, I feel so blessed that I've just maybe grown up in about the most perfect conditions that I could foresee for somebody like uh, a home where my parents loved each other. Um, when I was growing up, one of the things that was most comforting, my mom would say to me when she was tucking me in at night and be like, you know, I love your dad more than you. Right. And she was joking and we, we'd both laugh because like we both knew that she loved the hell out of me, you know, like she just loved me mm -hmm. clearly. And so in her saying that is like saying your, your nest is firm. Like you're, you're totally safe and protected in a sense, in her funny way of mm -hmm. doing it. But, um, they were grace based. You know, I, I think we're all kind of growing and understanding the finished work more than we did then, but it was a grace based home. I had a, a picture of God as a loving God. They never judged me or showed like they never gave me that picture of God that he's judgmental overbearing. I think they gave me freedom to, to grow and stuff. Just like, that's, that's what any of us would want. And I, I'm grateful to God that I have it. I guess I, I get that that's not the typical story. Um, but because of that, I just kind of grew up with nothing to push against, nothing to rebel against. I do I grew up non-rebellious, not because I, I don't challenge things or question things, but because there was nothing to, they weren't pushing against me. So I didn't push against them. And, um, and so I was kind of pansy if, if like compared to <laughs> listening to some people's stories, like a person who just like grows up with God, just walks with God, never has like that tragic moment that, you know, I think Satan loves to have that thing in somebody's childhood that he can use as a hook to bring back like a hook in them. And he can come back to mm -hmm. it over and over again and play it like a fiddle. Um, mm -hmm. And I think he just somehow missed his chance on that with me. And so then he plays the other side, which turns into, as you're growing up and, and getting into your spiritual walk, like a, a complacent. For me, it, it started out as complacency in Christianity. Mm -hmm. Like nothing in Christianity could amaze me or interest me because it was all just so always there just so plain yeah. yeah and then at a different stage in life when it, it started to become really passionate that can also become um pride and self-righteousness because there's not like these hang-ups that are that he's getting me with you know what i'm talking about like something that he's always bringing back to me well well what about, what about this you know like I, I didn't have that, honestly. So he goes hard for like the self-righteousness or something like that. So when did it, when did it become passion? How, how long after college from your low state of halfway running out, when did it become a different thing? Yeah. That happened after Alyssa and I were married. So Alyssa and I were coming up on this year, July would be 15. I think we're on 15. 
Um, but back near the, we got married 2006 and it was probably within the first year or two, maybe, maybe about two years into marriage, um, that I was very much like the, um, poster for like a Laodicean Christian, just very, I don't know. I was not, I was not hung up on feeling like God's judging me. I wasn't, you know, feeling unforgiven, but at the same time, I was not feeling like the beauty and the, the amazingness of, of the gospel manifesting in my life either. And God did a really weird thing actually. So probably 2008, I'm thinking Alyssa and I, we were living in Egan, Minnesota, which is in the Minneapolis twin cities metro area. And my family lived in Hutchinson, which we've we've moved here 25 years ago. Now Alyssa and I live in Hutchinson. You guys lived in Hutchinson. We missed that. Yeah, you we sure did. No longer live in Hutchinson. Uh, we had some good times with you here. Uh, a lot of Same. people have come and gone through here. It feels like. Um, but anyway, we were in this stage of life where almost every weekend we would get in the car and leave our apartment. We had no other friends there. We knew nobody. It seemed like no young people, and especially no Christian young people, and especially no Adventist young people. Okay, funny side note, like we were in that phase of life where if we met like a non-Christian or non-Adventist Christian friend, we were like, oh, we have a non-Adventist friend. <laughs> and we'd probably start sharing with them like Doug Bachelor videos and stuff like that. And it was like this big deal. <laughs> that was probably the stage of life I think we were in that at that point. Oh, my, my three-year-old's just coming in the room. Hey, Lincoln, can you, can you come back in later? You're supposed to be sleeping. Can you shut that door? Yeah. And come back a little later. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, so that was a normal thing for us on the weekends to be driving from Egan to to Hutchinson. Well, all of a sudden, this one random Friday after work, we're doing that, and we're in the car. And um, as we're leaving Egan, we look up in the sky, and it was a partly cloudy day. It was a beautiful day. But there was, like, this cloud that looked very much different than all the others, like it looked like it was way far beyond the other clouds and it looked mm -hmm. like the size of a man's hand and it looked like shiny and shimmery. And we're like at like almost immediately we're like, Whoa, look at that cloud. Like look, it looks like the second coming. Am I right? And it was started out as kind of a joke. And mm -hmm. so we're driving, you know, 15 minutes into the drive, a bunch of clouds have already, you know, passed overhead and the, the landscape of the sky is, totally different except for that that cloud is like it's still there and mm. it's in the exact same position relative to our car whereas everything else has changed and so mm. 15 minutes into the drive we're like that's kind of weird like look at that thing that's still it's still up there and so 15 30 minutes into the drive we're looking up and everything you know all the clouds have changed and passed and it's still there and we're like that that's kind of, that is weird. Like all of a sudden, like it's turning from like joking to kind of like a little bit of serious. And we started like talking to each other. Like what, what if Jesus was coming right now? And I was in a, I was in a place at that point where like, I had never studied really the Bible deeply for myself. I was just totally living on the laurels of, you know, my pedigree of being a fourth or fifth generation Adventist and all the things that I've heard. Um, and so I had no like anchor, no like solidity under 
what I believe or why, but I was like, I feel like certain things are supposed to happen before Jesus comes, right? Like there's certain things we've, we've been told are coming. They haven't happened. Um, and so like 45 minutes into this drive and that cloud is still there. I'm like actually checking my heart. Like what if Jesus is right now? And like asking internally, how would I feel about that? And realizing the answers coming back, like, not all good for multiple huh. reasons. Like, um, what were the if reasons? he is coming back in this moment for for one thing, like the classic, the things I want to do list. Yeah. Um, like I'd rather be here on earth for a little while longer. Cause I want to do X, Y, Z. I wanted to have kids and raise a family and probably go skydiving, do some other things like as if I couldn't do like a skydiving <laughs> extravaganza i don't know anyway like that was one the other one was also a class i don't know where i stand with god and not fully like i didn't all of a sudden i realized that assurance wasn't there and so that the drive is an hour long that cloud stayed out you know in front of our car relative to, to our car exactly the same for that whole hour and by time we got to my parents house i was like shaken and I run inside and I'm like, do you guys have a great controversy? Um, I had never read it. <laughs> I never had anybody read it to me. And I didn't even know what was in it, except for that I thought it would tell me, you know, how it all goes down in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think so. And honestly, you know, we found it in the back of a, a bookshelf. We had to dust it off. And uh, <laughs> I, dude, you already know, but I'm not an avid reader. I wish I was. Can't lie. Can't say that I am. And I probably started trying to like start the great controversy three or four times over the next month. And it was not taking. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I remember being in the airport at one point and I had it with me in a backpack and I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to flip to the back of the book and see like which chapter headings look interesting. And I'm just going to dive in and start there. So I remember starting on like the last chapter and reading it. And I was like, Oh, that looks interesting. Flip back a chapter. I was like, okay, that one too. And flip back a little more. I'm like, oh, I definitely want to know about that. Flip back a little more. Oh, okay. I, okay. By the time I'd flipped back far enough, I was like halfway back into the book. But I picked uh-huh. it up from there and started reading. Don't tell me you skipped was, the Walden Seas, did you? You didn't skip the Walden Seas, did you? The first great controversy I had no Seas were yet because I, no, I totally skipped that. <laughs> like all the history, basically. I was like, just get me to the end of the story. Okay. Um, right. But, oh, dude, just reading that shook me, like, that That got me passionate, but in the wrong way for a while. Hmm. Um, so I got, I got real convicted about all, you know, these, this way I'm living, things I'm doing. I started listening to sermons all the time. Hmm. Um, and, and at one point, um, Alyssa, my wife, her dad was our pastor at that point. And I remember one Sabbath for one of his messages, he, he challenged us just for like a week or yeah, it was like one week to do like a media fast. And I was like, I can do a week. Sure. So I tried that. Um, and I just, honestly, I found like at the end of that week, like my perspective was so much different. My heart felt different. Um, I was like, wow, this, this feels good. I actually like was surprised to realize I was kind of sad to go back a little bit. And so I was like, well, maybe I should turn this into two weeks. 
So I did one more week. And at the end of that week, I was like, I'm never going back. Um, and, and that kind of sent me a little bit hardcore into like shunning, you know, all movies, all secular music, all games, like purging all of this stuff out of my life. And that was, that was probably the most self-righteous season of my spiritual walk right there. Cause immediately you start like the comparison man. the comparison it'll steal your joy. And we, so wait, uh, you I, were comparing with, you were comparing yourself versus other people who were still looking at media. I was comparing myself to, um, pastors that, you know, might be on Audioverse or on coming to GYCs or something that, and, and, you know, God bless them. I don't know that I'm not saying this was their fault at all. It's just the way that I'm hearing or responding to it maybe. Um, but I'm like, Oh, I need to be a man of God. Like, you know, so-and-so. And then also the comparison in the other direction of like, I gave up this thing and I'm noticing that other people around me aren't giving up these things. They seem to be having fun with them. And, and because, because I was giving it up because I thought it was a, a duty. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually coming from a place of like not being attracted. I was still attracted. And so there, I wouldn't have admitted it or probably been able to articulate it at the time, but there was like an internal bitterness about hmm. all of these things that I'm giving up and people around me get to still enjoy them and still call themselves a Christian and still like, you know, act like they're following God. That sounds heavy. And yeah, no, it was not a, a it was not a good way to live. Um, but I was, I was getting, you know, to be known as a spiritual person more and more to the point that our conference, our Minnesota conference approached me and asked if I would start lay pastoring a small church. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like I was, I was so down with that at that point. Cause I was like, this is the natural progression for me now. <laughs> like what else would I do with my life? <laughs> this is the way is the, the Mandalorian yeah. would say. Yeah, exactly. Um, How old were you? This is the way. Um, I think that was in 2010, so it would have been... 11 years ago. Uh, 28. 28. Yeah. And you and you really thought... Now you thought... I remember having these kind of conversations with you years later, but you thought, I'm going to be a pastor. Yeah, like, I is, thought that... This is that, where I'm heading. I thought if somebody gets really like hot and heavy with their spiritual life, like you, you basically have to be a pastor. I, I didn't have a, a concept that lay people could be passionate about the gospel or their spirituality, I guess. I don't know. Um, like I'm passionate about this. So somebody needs to pay me to do it. <laughs> yeah. I need to talk to people about it and I got to get paid. This well, my, is my livelihood. Oh, you weren't even getting paid? No, I was a lay pastor. Mercy. Bringing people. So that was for flock, two but... years. And uh, what was that experience like? In a lot of ways, it was actually, it was actually good. God was using it probably to grow me more than anybody else. But I had this little congregation 
we're you know we're in Hutchinson's like a fifteen thousand, Litchfield's an even smaller town about a half hour away, and mm-hmm. all of all of the Avenus like stuff, all the buzz, all of the the community hangs out. We got the grade school and we got the high school. We got a, a big big enough church for everybody, um, and so Litchfield was like an outpost of um people kind of randomly scattered around the outskirts and you know people coming in from farms or just like little towns of like you know five or six houses um and it was it was like i'll just say this that our Alyssa and i coming there brought the average age of the church down drastically (laughs) but i was in a mindset i was in like an old soul mindset where i'm like this is perfect for me because like (laughs) <laughs> like seeing myself more more in common having more in common with like very conservative old adventists at that point than you know somebody in my age group um they were very sweet people and we actually treasured like the two years that we were with them um but in that time god allowed me to get burned out like spiritual hmm. burnout and he also allowed me to realize that that wasn't his call for my life and that that would be okay, that you could actually be into God and not be a pastor. I think I had to learn that by being a pastor at the, at the end being like, okay, God, like I still want you, but I don't think this is cut out for me. And God being like, good, I'm glad you learned that. Let's move on now. <laughs> Mercy. That's funny. So, so you did that two years and now, like, it seems like the door is closed on that. Did you have, like, goals moving forward when it came to spirituality? Or were you resting? What was your mindset leaving the lay um, ministry? I think in those two years, probably encapsulate, like, the most legalistic phase of my um, my story, I guess. And he was kind of working me out of it, even through that time. And the the parting thing that he gave me, I remember it was actually after, you know, I had just stopped. I had just told the pastor of Hutchinson, who technically that was his dis- district, and I was kind of, you know, under him, taking it for him. I ended up telling him, like, I'm donezo on this. And he was like, he was totally... It was actually, it was um, still Alyssa's dad, Pastor Wayne. He was totally good with it and did never give me any hard things about it. Um, but I, I felt weird, you know, letting it go. Like this was my duty. I was kind of struggling with that, trying to figure it out a little bit. And I remember at work, we had like a white elephant gift exchange. And it's probably like around the holidays. I think I stopped in October 2012. Anyway, we're at work. We have a white elephant gift exchange, and I'm realizing that I forgot to grab a white elephant gift. So I run off to like a dollar store to try to find something to bring. And while I'm in there, I'm like listening to a random chapter of Desire of Ages, which is a a book about Jesus' life um, by a lady named Ellen White. And it, I think I selected the chapter at random, but I'm in this like cheapy little dollar store walking around looking for like the dumbest good gift that I could get for a few dollars. 
and mm-hmm. listening to a story of like Jesus sending out all the disciples and then them, you know, ministering for a while and then coming back together. And his mm-hmm. message to them was come and rest a while. And that, that was the name of the chapter. And the whole chapter was about him, like having them come and rest with him. I was so burned out at that point that, that, um, the guilt of letting this thing go or any of that, that I was wrestling with, which I don't think I was like, that wasn't my only perspective, but it was a wrestling trying to figure it out, trying to process it. And the guilt that was there for, for not seeing this thing through or for quitting. God just ministered to me through that thing while I'm in this dollar store. I almost started crying as I was like, it was like God saying, it's okay. Like, it's okay that you're burned out and it's okay that you're stopping and it's okay that you're not going to be a pastor. Like, just rest. Like, it's almost making me cry right now, but just rest in me, which, you know, as we get into talking about the good gospel, like, that's what this is all about. And I didn't understand it all fully then and probably will still keep understanding more, but that's really what it's all about is like, just learning to receive his goodness and receive like the fullness of everything he's done for us and receive the finished work and just rest, like just rest in him and rest in it. So when you were at the, the tail end, you said you were the most legalistic. What lens were you reading scripture through that would give you that heavy legalism? Maybe that's a tough question. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I don't, um, like, again, I don't think I was raised with that. I think there was like a, when I read the great controversy, I think there was a sense of, whoa, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. Like nobody's ever told me, honestly, you know, not, not to call out any school or, or person that was my teacher or anything like that, for whatever reason, like, the things that Adventists believe about end time prophecy, things like that had actually never really been, I'd never really been exposed to them for being hmm. the fifth generation Adventist that I was. I think my mom and dad grew up in a time where they were so burned by it that that's kind of why they, they went the other direction. They tried to protect me from it. Um, hmm. We did have at one point, um, this was when I was, before we moved to Minnesota, I was living in Rapid City, South Dakota for a few years. And we had some lady come into our school. I never saw her before or after. She wasn't associated with the school. I, don't, I honestly have no clue how she came to, to be our speaker. This was probably in the early mid-90s, like maybe 94 or something like that. And she mm-hmm. gave us this whole like whiteboard presentation breakdown of how and why Jesus is coming in the year 2000. And that there's going to be all this persecution that precedes that. And like, we need to be getting ready. And I had never heard anything like this before. And I was probably in like, uh, maybe fifth grade or something. And so I, I went home and like for the next probably month or two, I would just cry myself to sleep. Like mom, what's coming? What's happening? And like, I could looking back, I can tell that she was like, Oh, what (laughs) person did they let in the grade school? Like I've been trying to protect my son from this kind of like, that would have been her mentality. And she'd sit at my bed and be like, I know I, I, people used to tell me that when I was a kid too. And I would cry myself to sleep, like, which goes to show like 
you know, what her context was growing up and that she was trying to protect me from that. Anyway, when I read The Great Controversy, there was like such a shock of like, how could I have grown up in this thing my whole life and have all of these things that nobody's ever told me? And so I think for, I think that's what kind of spun me off into that self-righteous thing a little bit is like me trying to go figure it out on my own. Like I'd grown up actually in a pretty grace-based environment Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden like looking at everybody like they're in Laodicea because I was in Laodicea, you know, that that I'm using that as a code word as something that comes out of the book of Revelation for Jesus describing a church that just doesn't know their need and they're really complacent in Hmm. thinking that they're good when they actually don't have a relationship with him and, and they're actually in danger, as he says, of getting spit out of his mouth because mm. it's just coming coming to the end of everything. And you can't, he's like, the fence is on fire. Everybody's got to jump off one side or the other. And you guys are like, you're not jumping off on my side. And I need you to, mm-hmm. I want you to. Like, that's why he's pleading with them. Um, but so I recognized that in myself as I read The Great Controversy. And I think I started seeing everybody else through that lens. And I think that is probably what, what initiated that kind of self-righteous a little bit more judgmental view of the world, but it's not what I grew up with. So I think it kind of worked its way out in those couple years and kind of on track as I was um, starting as I, okay, after I was done pastoring Litchfield, I stopped attending Litchfield. And I, I got into like just teaching Sabbath school there. And I remember for whatever reason, like, I don't think I had fully understood, you know, our church's history. Something happened in 1888 actually happened. Not it's like down the road from where I live. Minneapolis. Yeah. In 1888. Um, couple, it was like, God tried to bring, yeah. God took a couple brothers and tried to like open up a picture gospel to the Adventist church. And they would have none of it at that time. Um, (laughs) It was sad. Um, but like you go back and read those two messages, EJ, AT e. Jones, EJ Wagner. Um, and those, like, read some of their books. It's good gospel. Like, it's, this is righteousness by I faith. I got one upstairs called, yeah, Lessons on Faith is their, their articles that were in the oh, Review and Herald. And yeah, they've put them all there. That book's great. Um, yeah. Lessons on Faith. What they've got, uh, one on the law in Galatians. Glad tidings. Yeah, yeah. Those books are great. Um, and God tried to bring good gospel to our church in, in the year 1888 in Minneapolis. And the church, it was like the Pharisees fought them on it. And not only just weren't like, okay, that's cool, but like actually resisted it. And I was just kind of starting to learn about some of that stuff and starting to realize like, oh, this righteousness by faith thing, like that's where it's at. Um, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so I do remember having like a, a Sabbath school that I taught on righteousness by faith. And I, I just remember coming to the end of that Sabbath school and the conclusion of it being like, guys, I think there's something to it here that, that we still aren't getting. Like, uh, and it was like, it was honest. Like, I, I was like, I don't think I get it. I feel like there's just something more to it. And people were probably looking at me like, 
okay, whatever, dude. What what do you think it is? I'm like, I don't know. I was just getting a sense that it was important, and I didn't know why. Um, but anyway, I probably that that might have been 2013 or 14, and within probably a, around a year of that time, I was listening to a guy named Dennis Smith, who's a he's a pastor from out east, and he's he's got some good gospel in his message, mm-hmm. but it's it's oftentimes communicated through the terminology of like the baptism of the Holy spirit. And mm-hmm. I was listening to his messages and I was finding, I was finding like food, spiritual food in those, but mm-hmm. I was listening to this one that I had, I had already played before I was listening to it again, maybe a, a month or two later. And I told you and Natalie about this at one point, but that I'm, I just dropped somebody off at the airport and I was driving back home in the dark and just listening to the sermon. And all of a sudden the way that he spoke about first John three, two, which if I can remember, it says beloved. Um, Is that behold what manner of love the father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? No, that might be around there, but I'm trying to remember how it starts. It says, um, we know that we're children of God, um, but we, how does he say it? I might have to actually look it up. I'm looking it up right now. Do you, do you cut stuff out? Do you shave stuff out of here? I don't want to, but I, I can. <laughs> he says, beloved, um, now we are children of God. And it hasn't oh, yet yeah, it's right what after. we will be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So I, I hear him, I hear him read the passage. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Yeah. Okay. 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 So we don't know what we're going to be, but we know this when he appears, we're going to be like him. We have to be, because we're going to see him like he is. He's going to be coming in the clouds. All of a sudden he starts talking about this verse and breaking it down of like, and it it was righteousness by faith the way he was doing it, mm-hmm. but it was guys when Jesus comes in the clouds, like we're going to be able to exist in His presence because His glory is going to be fully manifested in us, and so it's going to be one hundred percent like His glory coming in the clouds, meeting His glory like manifested in us, to come together and be beautiful. Um, and the way that He said it just all of a sudden shook my my theology, which up until that point, probably even, you know, through pastoring and everything, but especially like for sure, I knew, I know this looking back at, at high school and growing up, my theology was essentially you're saved by grace through faith, but you're not actually like going to be like Jesus down here. That happens when you get upstairs, like you just do as good as you can. And God will make up the rest. Hmm. Just do what you can and God will God will finish it out. And when he said, like, when he essentially said, which it which John says this too, you know, a little while later, that as he, as Jesus is, so are we in the so world. So are we. I like uh, I like that verse. Yeah, man. You got you got some sweet shirts, <laughs> some sweet merch. Man, I had never heard that, that verse. Merch. 
isn't this crazy that like some verse will hit you and you're like, did y'all know that the Bible says that just as Jesus is, so are we? Did you all know that? Like, and that's the reason why we're supposed to have boldness when we approach God. Like, mm. we're supposed to approach God with boldness. Like, it's crazy how these verses just jump out at you from, and like, similar to the great controversy or similar to like, you're just, yo, why didn't anybody tell me that, that just as he is, so are we? Why didn't anybody? And you get kind of mad. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, it just hits you so thing. much. Like, you've just, it's different. You feel like if you've been in this thing, if you've like you've been slow cooking in this thing your whole life, like you should have come across this by now. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realize like it's totally brand new to you. And it's yeah. And then you, you know, also realize like, oh, I wasn't reading any of this thing. That's that's probably <laughs> for me, not for you. You had been steady. Like for me, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have I should have cracked this thing open. <laughs> Well, I mean, one of the things like I I do, yeah, one of the things I do feel like has happened recently is realizing like, okay, maybe I did read some of this stuff, but I wasn't reading it through the eye of faith. And I didn't even really realize that or realize what the eye of faith was. Um, Anyway, just go real quick back. Yeah. Just rewind for just a second. Anyway, as, as Dennis Smith is describing this thing, all of a sudden I realize like, if I need to be like Jesus when Jesus comes if it's not something that happens when I get upstairs like it's supposed to happen downstairs uh, my theology is not going to get me there like that's mm. what hit me uh, all of a sudden my theology just kind of broke apart like that that's never been on my radar as something that's possible and so I did I think realize at that moment like okay, I need to fully surrender and fully let Jesus make this happen. Um, mm. But there was there was still a piece missing in that too. And I don't know, as we as we get, you know, further in the story, that, that actually only comes in maybe more recently. Um, but if, if I was to interject it back at this part of the story, the thing that I think was missing was resting, resting in righteousness by faith for me back then, trying to figure that out and process it. Like, how do you then engage as a Christian? Like, okay, so realizing that it all has to be him in mm-hmm. me, but then trying to process that and figure out how does that not leave me sitting like in a lazy boy, like just be like, okay, God, you take care of it. I'm just going to chill here. And how does that, how do I engage in spirituality if I'm, also letting it all go and letting him do it all. Hmm. How do I not be laid back complacent? Like I, I think it was, it was challenging for me to process that. And I knew righteousness by faith was important. I knew that it has to all be him now because of listening to Dennis Smith's that, that message. But for many years up until even recently struggling with like, okay, how do I let him do it all and be engaged in this thing? Have you and, seen the um, movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall? No. Okay. I just, this Tell scene me. in the movie reminds me so much of what you're talking about, where um, this guy who's been broke, his girlfriend broke up with him and she runs off to Hawaii. He follows her to Hawaii. And 
Mm-hmm. Paul Rudd is this surfing instructor. Don't do anything. Don't try to surf. Don't do it. The less you do, the more you do. Let's see it pop up. Pop it up. That's not it at all. Do less. Get down. Try less. Do it again. Pop up. Nope. Too slow. Do less. Pop up. Pop up. Too, you're doing too much. Do less. Pop down. Pop up now. Stop. Get down. Get down there. Remember, don't do anything. Nothing. Pop up. Well, you no, you got to do more than that because you're just laying. You, right out, looks like you're boogie boarding. Just do it. Feel it. Pop up. Yeah, that wasn't quite it, but we're going to figure it out out there. Let's go surfing. Come on. Everybody's learning how. Come on. Uh, the weather outside is weather. And he's trying to learn how to surf. But Paul Rudd's a terrible surfing instructor. instructor and all he says is, you just got to do less, man. You just got to do less. <laughs> and so he's on. He's like lying on the board and he tries to hop up to like surf because they're practicing it on land. And Paul was like, yeah. no, nah, man, that's not it. You, it's it's less than that. And so he gets down on his stomach again <laughs> and he pops up and it looks like he's doing it slower, but in like in a way he's trying not to. And Paul runs like, yeah, that's close, but still less. It's less than that. And then finally, like he's lying face down and and he's not popping up at all. And Paul Rudd's character is like, well, it's got to be more than that. And that just reminds me. It's just like you're trying to figure it out. You're like, do less, surrender, do less. And then then you do nothing. And someone's like, well, I mean, it's got to be a little bit more. Yes. That, oh, that's such a perfect, uh, that's a perfect object lesson. That's exactly it. Like, yeah, telling myself, okay, gotta do less, do less, do less. But then feeling like I'm laying on my face on the surfboard and not learning to surf. Uh, I think honestly, that's been a juggling act for the whole, so maybe what that might've been 2013 or 14 mm-hmm. all the way up until this 2020. Um, I had a faith-based picture of God. I had a loving picture of God anywhere I could go to speak or anything. My message was always in those years focused on righteousness by faith, focused on, even though I didn't fully understand how, you know where to how do you run the surfboard but um it was focused on like wanting people to know that god loves them trying to get them focused on the love of jesus so all of that's been in my picture and so last year 2020 uh at the beginning of the year i got uh lasik actually it was it was in may it was supposed to be in mm-hmm. march the the last day of them taking people like I had this scheduled for months in advance. And then like the day before it happened, they called me and they're like, uh, yeah, sorry, we're shutting down tomorrow. So that, um, got delayed a couple months, but so my vision got clearer in 2020. Mm. And it, it was interesting because God used that as kind of an object lesson and a reminder of like something that happens spiritually also. Hmm. Do you wear contacts? No. Oh, you're just good? <laughs> like you just see everything? I'm the just... only one in my family. My brother, sister, mom, dad. My wife can't see anything. 
I'm the only one. So sad. I think my kids are okay right now. I don't know. That's sad. Okay, so uh, before before that, I could I could read a big enough clock across the room. I could drive myself around, but without contacts, I'm not seeing anything clearly. Mm-hmm. And that's I think that that's kind of where I was spiritually in mm-hmm. these last years. So, so yeah, what started? What uh, yeah, what started this whole thing? 2019, 2020, this uh, Uh, new lens that you've been looking at spirituality and life through, what happened? Well, you you start to come into the picture in this one, um, because you guys have been living, or you had been living in Hutchinson. What was was the years that you were here? Man, it confuses me sometimes. I think we got there in 2015. (laughs) It really does. I think we got there in 2015 and we lived there for three years. And when I got there, did we? Or did you leave in 18? Maybe you left in, I don't know. It could be 17. You you must have left in 18 because we we moved. Okay, nobody cares about this. We moved in this house in summer 2017 and you guys were here for a while. Natalie watched our kids here for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you and I would have a bunch of conversations uh, about, this is one thing that you and I have never, we've never really chit chatted or had small talk. It's always been like really in depth conversations. We don't talk about sports. We might talk about movies like a little bit, but then it's just like we would get into some, some serious stuff. And while I was in Hutch, um, that, I mean, that's, that's what our conversations were about. And, most of the time, if we had any kind of time off, we'd be at your house pretty much all Sabbath. And we would, I mean, there'd be plenty of conversations. And I just remember you um, just had a different kind of hunger and different kind of thirst for spiritual stuff. And it was just a, it was was always a, a huge blessing to me because um, even if we disagreed, uh, which we rarely did when I was living there, um, it was always just a good conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, that was kind of our common ground since I'm like totally, um, I did not get any of the athletic genes that if there are any in my family gene pool, I didn't get them. So like sports was not my thing, honestly. A lot of my things are are not like I, I don't know I don't even know what my things are. That's just where our common ground was we, on the deep stuff. Our common ground was kind of taking photos and spiritual yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so then we took we so, left, and that's when things started to change in my life. Is. Hmm. 2018 fall into winter 2019 things started changing for me and don't, don't probably start because honestly like i'm looking forward to the reverse interview podcast that you got to do at some point but don't Maybe give it away day. here yet i won't I give it away this one i mean it'd be nice for this not to just all be me 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 but that that needs to be saved for no, but Some this is what this stuff. is. But about. anyway, yeah, it's going to come and in so, a little bit because. Go ahead. 
Well, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know when I started talking to you about this stuff, but I'm guessing it was summer of 2019, two years ago, yeah, year and a half ago. Yeah, probably. And it's tell me about how the the very first like foray into it at all was Mm -hmm. you saying. Hey, have you talked to Tyler? Cause that that bro's on fire right now. I remember you like, and I don't think I don't know at that point if it had totally sunk in for you, and that's how you were just trying to like ease into this conversation, or mm-hmm. if you weren't sure at that point either. I kind of feel like it was maybe the latter. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Like you it, were still really in, a, in a mode of figuring it out. It really depends on what time it was. If it was, um in the summer, if it was in 2019, then I would have been starting to, to get an understanding of it. But if it was in the fall of 2018, I was still like, what's going on with him? Cause he was going through his Probably. whole Morgan going to leave him thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So, but I, for, it I was weird to context. talk to you about it because and this is why a lot of people have a tough time talking about the gospel is there's this weird elephant in the room, maybe not an elephant, but just it's called spiritual authority. Hmm. And there are people that have spiritual authority. And so if they have more spiritual, and I don't know if this is a real thing, but I know it's a thing that we think about. Uh, if someone has more spiritual authority, it's very difficult for you to teach them something or talk to them about something. And if they mm-hmm. disagree with you, well, they have more spiritual authority than you do, so you should listen to what they're saying. And mm-hmm. in our friendship, you had put the time in. You'd been a lay pastor. You'd you if someone was they were going to ask somebody to preach a sermon if you were available, they're not picking me. And this wasn't like a comparison game. This is just, it is what it is. Johnny, um, Johnny knows this stuff. Johnny knows all of this stuff. And so when I was starting to understand some of this stuff, I'm like, I wonder if this is what Johnny has known all along. And we just haven't had this conversation yet. Hmm. Uh, That's what I would think about it. And so it would be difficult for me to talk to you about it in some ways because I didn't want to, like, I thought, well, he's got spiritual authority. Like, he has always understood this stuff. And I'm just the, kind of like you were talking about earlier, the guy who's been an Adventist for a while, who has family, half of my family has been Adventist for a long, long time, but it wasn't um, like... I was salt and light in, I, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough to say because I was in mentorship roles in my positions for my job and stuff. And I believed what I was preaching, but, but so that's what I was starting to talk to you about some of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you'd mentioned like, okay, Tyler's having this crazy experience and um, for a little context, Tyler, Morrison is my brother-in-law 
Um, so now Morgan Huffman is my sister-in-law through Tyler. So we were kind of watching this, um, m- their marriage play out at a distance. They weren't, obviously there was the pink sparkly bubble. So we were not um, privy to everything that was going on behind the scenes, but we sensed tension. We sensed weirdness. We knew at one point that things were bad, that they weren't talking, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you start saying like Tyler's on fire. And then all of a sudden we see like their marriage just transform like wildfire. And so we're like, Whoa, something's going on there for sure. Um, so we started listening, like we were open, both Alyssa and I were open to kind of hear and see what was going on. Um, but there was a thing inside me still based. This is still based on insecurity, still based on, um, comparing, there was a thing inside me that even though I knew that this wasn't okay, or like I knew it wasn't okay to have pride. And sometimes I'd sense it and be like, Oh, that's, that's not something I should have. And blah, 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 blah. Um, there was a certain kind of feeling of like being the teacher of Israel, like, Hmm. like a Nicodemus complex a little bit. Like if I'm going to learn something from somebody, so what you're, what you're describing um, is probably true. Uh, on the other yeah. side too, for me, like, um, if I'm going to learn something, then it should, I need to like meet with Jesus in a, in a dark clandestine environment. So nobody else sees that I'm learning something. Um, mm. except, you know, I, I knew all of those things were not okay. I knew that spiritual pride was not okay, but I still had it and I didn't have any tools to, to overcome it hmm. other than to try to suppress it. Um, Hmm. and so part of what's happened in this, in this last year was getting the tools. And I kind of mentioned that eye of faith strengthening this year. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I've learned, okay, so I'll, I'll just kind of jump to where it clicked for me after we'd been listening to you guys talk for a while. We'd listen to some love reality tour messages. We'd listen to some messages on, on Romans and like, when it came to Romans seven and like, I'd hear Tyler start talking about Romans seven. That was one of those things where it was like a little bit of spiritual pride. Like, okay, I've been here for years. Like I, I, I got Romans seven. And, and for those who are, are listening and like, what are you talking about? Romans seven is, is one of the passages that's tripped up, you know, me and, and so many people around me growing up in the church where Paul talks about like doing the things he doesn't want to do. And mm-hmm. And taking that passage and assigning it to us as Christians and being, yep, that's me, brother. Like, I, I just catch myself doing these things that I don't want to do. But but we take comfort from Romans 7 in in the sense, in the way that you take comfort from um, misery loves company. At least Paul yeah. was in this boat with me. You know, so um, the way I kind of saw it was, I started to see Romans seven was not saying that Paul was not saying I'm a slave to doing things. I don't want to do. He's actually describing the experience of the flesh. And if you look in, in chapter seven, verse 14, um, especially if you're looking in the NASB Bible, like it consistently translates the word flesh. And he, he says, okay, I'm in the, I'm in the flesh. He's basically saying, imagine I'm in the flesh sold into bondage to sin, Mm. doing these things I don't want to do. And then he gets into chapter eight and he's like, but you are not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Yeah. And 
nobody can dwell in the flesh and dwell with God. And like, if you're in the flesh, you can't please God. And anybody who's in the flesh, he even says like 13, 14, one of those verses, anybody who's in the flesh will die. <laughs> so like, it's really clear when he gets into the next chapter, like he's not advocating that he is in the flesh. But in, in chapter seven, he's like, okay, let's say I'm in the flesh, being a slave to sin, doing these things I don't want to do. So I, I had started to think about that in terms of like, say you are a, a prisoner in a dungeon, a dark, dank, drippy dungeon. You're all by yourself alone in this kind of cave-like environment. And it's like a despair. And all of a sudden you see something like kind of wiggling, like a little bit of dust and crumbles falling from the wall. And you see something like pushing away, like little, little crumbles of the wall. And like, what is that? And go over there and like, see as it, as the dirt falls away, like a little note poking through, like being shoved through and you grab the note and you open it up and it says, Hey, I know, I know it's terrible in here, but I'm on the other side of this wall. I'm, I'm here with you, man. And you take some comfort from that to like all of a sudden realize that you're not alone. You're in this dungeon with somebody else um, and you're sharing the experience with another person and you take comfort from it. And that's the kind of comfort that we've taken from Romans 7 when actually what Paul's doing, like, okay, paint yourself in that situation again. The, the dirt is crumbling off the wall. The note's poking through and you pull it out and it says, hey, I know you're in this dungeon and I want you to know I found a way out. And that's mm. what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is all about. And we've been focusing on Romans 7, like taking comfort as if Paul's saying, I'm in here with you, man. There's no hope, but at least we're together. Um, it's the Count of so Monte Cristo, know. Chateau D. Yeah, dude. Yes, here's yes. the guy. And yeah, is that what you have to thinking about when you're talking about that's this? Much, yeah, that's pretty much the imagery I'm going that's in my mind. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, I, I, before you go further, I remember we all had a FaceTime conversation that lasted like three hours. It was you and Alyssa, Natalie, and myself, and Morgan and Tyler. And we were super excited because Morgan's free, Natalie's free. And then the next morning, Alyssa's just like texted us. She's like, I'm about it. Um, was mm. this before, this was how long before you understanding Romans seven was this, was this beginning your, I'm uncomfortable with this pride that I'm feeling phase? Uh, the Romans seven piece, I, I probably had understood years ago. And so actually that came in as spiritual pride as we we're listening to you guys get all excited about Romans and part of me being like, yeah, I did know this. Um, and mm -hmm. try like, again, like realizing spiritual pride is not okay, but just not having any tools to, to deal with it. So mm -hmm. it, it coming in and me, I, me identifying with it, like, yeah, this is who I am. That sucks. I need to like be in this struggling battle my whole life to kind of like struggle against this pride. Um, I knew Romans seven better than I knew, knew Romans six, as it turns out, because as we were hearing, you know, more and more from, from other chapters too and other books, but for a lot of people, it started in Romans six. And so I was, I think this was March of last year. It was like COVID hit and maybe it was into April. No, it was in, in into April COVID hit and we all got sent home from our churches. Right. So 
Alyssa and I started tuning in to like love reality tour messages on, on zoom chats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the Sab mm-hmm. schools that are being run by, by Tyler, whoever. And we're like, I, I'm wrestling with the spiritual tribe, but, but I'm also trying to listen and trying to see if there's anything here that I'm missing. Cause there's like a sense, like, I think I'm missing something like the way that mm-hmm. they're talking about freedom. I don't know if I'm like, like that comfortable talking about freedom. And so I'm listening and a lot of it's going to Romans six. I, I spend like one morning after listening to some of these messages It's probably like we listened on Saturday and Sunday morning, I'm in bed and just reading Romans six. And all of a sudden, like as my eyes went across the words, the spirit spoke to me in a way that I'd never read the words before when in verse six, um, when he just says you were crucified with Christ and you are dead to sin. And like the way that it jumped off the page at me in that moment was a realization that every time I've ever read that in the past, it was always like, okay, Paul is, is writing that to these Romans. He apparently has some confidence in, in their spiritual walk and that they're doing pretty good. And so he's, he's comfortable saying, okay, you guys have died to sin, but I don't know if I can apply that to my life. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't because it's based on performance. Even, even Mm. in my grace based picture, there's, it's coupled with this performance. And sometimes I don't feel like I can say that. Maybe sometimes in my self-righteous moments, I feel like I can. Um, But it was not a confident thing ever that I could say that I've died to sin. And Hmm. as I read it that morning, all of a sudden it jumped off the page like, it has nothing to do with you. Like, Hmm. you died to sin before you were ever born. You had no say in it. It had nothing to do with you. Jesus just scooped up your life and brought it with him as he went to the cross. And that is done and you can't change it. And you are dead to sin, whether you, whether you like it or not, like your life already went and died with him. And yeah, my sinful life needed to be judged by the law. And I was expecting to be, you know, covered by, by God's grace and all that stuff. But it just hit me even more strongly in that moment. Like, your life already was judged by the law. Like when in, in John twelve thirty one, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. And now the rule of this world's being kicked out. And if I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw men to me. So in the context of the cross, he says, right now, the whole world is about to be judged. Like pile them on. I'm going to take every single one of them and we're going to all go get judged before the law. And we're not going to pass the test and we're all going to go in the grave together. And then we're all going to rise together. And it just struck me in that moment. Like I, whether I like it or not, however I perform, no matter what I put forward, like my life has already been judged by the law in Christ. And I've already died with him. I already went into a grave with him in some mystical way. You know, John Crowder calls it this mystical union. We're united Mm -hmm. with Christ and, Christ was given to the human family as a gift to become one with us in some mysterious way. Like he just took us into himself and now all of our life is through him. And there's a human that's sitting on the throne of the universe. Like there's going to be a human that is God like ruling the universe. He's bringing all of this with him, but for the rest of eternity and God 
is going to get a U-Haul and move from heaven to earth and bring his kingdom like to reside here. Like we are the rebels and he's, his love is so strong and so great. And redemption is much more than what was lost in the first place. Like the beauty of his grace is that he's bringing, he brought us into his kingdom and he's bringing his kingdom here to us. Like it's just, it's incredible. But all of this, like it just popped out of the verse that morning that it's Hmm. just done and there's nothing more that, that I can do to add or take away from it. And all I can do is receive it, which sounds really passive. Right. And we were kind of talking about that question earlier on, like, where do you stand on the surfboard? Oh, that's a great analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because this all sounds really passive. You just sit back and you just receive this thing. So what is the active part? And so here's this eye of faith that has never really been that strong. It's always been weaker than the eye of flesh. Anything I would ever read like that in scripture, I would read through the eye of flesh and I would consult with my feelings and I would consult with my performance to figure out if I believe that this is true. I didn't, I wouldn't have articulated it that way. I probably wouldn't have realized that that's what's going on, but that's why Romans Mm -hmm. six never jumped out to me before. If I was going to read, you've died to sin. I couldn't fully receive that and believe that because I'm checking my feelings and I'm checking my performance and I'm not passing the test. And so I'm like, meh, not so sure about that one right now. Um, hmm. But with, with the eye of faith, like, okay, so the things that we can catch with our five senses will paint this fog in front of our vision of, you know, you're not good enough or you, you've messed this up or you don't feel it. It's like you can't see far. And so there's this, this haze in front of you, this fog. What the eye of, of faith does is doesn't bother consulting with your feelings. It doesn't bother consulting with your performance. It just reaches through the fog and starts grabbing onto things that God's word says and just pulls them back and accepts them as a higher truth and what you can feel or see. Hmm. So that, um, that has transformed how, how I would deal with a thought of of spiritual pride that comes into my heart now, or like a thought of comparison. Whereas before I identified with like, well, that must be me. And this is my struggle through all life. Um, now I don't, the thought might come in, but like, like Martin Luther says, like you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. Like I'll, I'll have the thought. I still have thoughts that come from Adam one. I still have thoughts that come from the hmm. flesh. They pop into my head. I still have feelings that come from Adam one. Um, but I don't ever accept them as the highest reality anymore. Like the eye of, of faith can see right through them. It's like x-ray vision sees right through it. And it's like, this isn't the highest thing that's true. Like there can't be actually anything hmm. that's more true about me than, than what my designer creator says is true. Like he knows what's, the truest thing about me. And if he designed me to be in his image and he's redeemed me to be in his image and he's already finished the work that it takes to make that real, 
the eye of faith can reach through all that fog and be like, I'm going to grasp onto what he says about me. And that's the highest reality of what I am because he's my designer creator. And so that that's what 2020 gave me. And that's what Love Reality Tour and conversations with you. You know, at one point I was like struggling with, am I getting this? Am I not getting this? And one of the things you said in one of our conversations that helped like push it into my thick skull was, you're like, you got this. You already got this. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Because I mean, everybody's got it. Like the only thing you have to do is just just receive it. Um, yeah, I think I, I was trying to figure out why you, because you were, I think, as I think back about it, maybe even the spiritual pride, mm-hmm. your awareness of spiritual pride was like this cognitive dissonance with you receiving it because you're like, I know I'm being spiritually prideful right now. Mm-hmm. And that contradicts that, me understanding yeah. this. Yes. So how can I understand this if I'm feeling like this? And I'm just like, no, that's not you. Hmm. You're not spiritually pride proud. Hmm. Hmm. You don't that that's the enemy. You get mm-hmm. this. Because I mm-hmm. couldn't understand why you weren't just like jiving with what we were saying. I was like, <laughs> bro, you've known all of this. And you're like, I do, I know that. I'm like, then what what's stopping you? And I think there was this thing that I find I find that people cannot say that they are the righteousness of God mm-hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'll straight up ask, are you the righteousness of God in Christ? Because Second Corinthians five twenty one says that he became sin who knew no sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that true for you? Absolutely. And people can't say it. They can't say mm-hmm. it. Because we've been trained to think that that's pride. If we were to say that. Right. Um, and it goes, and we realize, I think at times we even realize that, okay, it's not my righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. But we still have trouble with it because we're still measuring it by feelings and by performance. And those don't jive. So we're like, I don't have confidence that I've got it right now. Yeah. I don't have that assurance. But So what did you... Oh, keep going. The other thing that um, I was struggling with that you guys were talking about was the, the sinner saint concept. I wasn't struggling with it just so much as it was just so new compared to everything we've been raised with, right? So I was listening honestly as you guys were talking about it, but I I don't know if you, I don't know how you perceived me at some point if I was like, you maybe, I don't know if you maybe felt like I was just like pushing back or just being ornery about receiving that. Um, I, that, I don't think that that was my mindset, but it, and maybe that wasn't how you're perceiving me either, but I'll, maybe I'll let you speak to that. I don't know. What, what, what did you feel like well, when you I were felt trying to like you were uncomfortable with it because, and I knew exactly why you were uncomfortable with it because I had been uncomfortable with it. Mm. And because we're from the same faith tradition, there are things that we say and there's things that we don't say, and we know all the mm-hmm. cookie cutter answers. Mm-hmm. And so when this new thought that you shouldn't identify as something that he destroyed at the cross and you died with him and that now you're risen of newness of life. You shouldn't identify with the thing that he destroyed. Mm-hmm. I, I was uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. because of what? 
my situation, my circumstances, my mm-hmm. performance, my behavior. Mm-hmm. My behavior hadn't shown that he had destroyed it. Yeah. So how can that be true? Yeah. And so I saw you being uncomfortable the same way I was uncomfortable. But when I was uncomfortable, no one was watching me. No one was saying, do you get this? Do you understand it? It was just Tyler and I hanging out, mm-hmm. talking, me watching videos online. And so it was, I felt like, oh, this is a different experience than my experience. Cause the only person kind of talking with me about it was Tyler. And now, so I, I was like, I know exactly why you're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but don't be uncomfortable. <laughs> like it's actually I, better. It, it's, it's good news. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I could see that it was good news. Um, and to be honest, I was open to it, but I was and this, this is just maybe personality wise. Like I wasn't willing to just take that at face value from anybody saying it. I just needed time to wrestle with scripture myself and go and, and f- trace that down and figure it out. And since when I, since, since then have had time to do that. And I'm like, Oh, this is so scriptural. Like I can't find, I can hardly find anything that, the Bible says about, I don't, I can't find anything that the Bible says about sinners that would make me identify with it. Actually, what the Bible says about sinners is like, they're going to be destroyed from the earth. Sinners will not inherit the kingdom. Like, um, sinners, sinners are always the opposite camp of God's people. They're always like positioned opposite of the righteous. Like sinners will not dwell in the, in the flames of God. Like this is like, I think Isaiah 33, 14 area, but like the righteous will dwell in, in like the fiery presence of God. I don't know why I'd never seen it before, but sinners, like at at one point we were listening to Jonathan Leonardo talk through one of the LRT um, pod or the LRT. And when he took it back to Romans five, that's where it kind of started to sink in for me. And he, he quoted Psalms chapter one, Psalms one, that just, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Psalms one that juxtaposes the sinner from the righteous, and I'm like, okay, there's some scripture behind this. I hadn't like searched it out for myself, but I was like, okay, he he grounded that. Um, but when he went to Romans five, it didn't all sink in that first night, but he he exposed me to it, so I could go check it out and and realize that this checks out. That Romans teaching us that we became sinners irregardless of what people did, they became sinners based on what Adam did. They were born into being a sinner based on what Adam did. According to scripture, this category of sinner is what, what they inherited. And the only way to, to get out of it would be to be born into a different genealogy. And so the same way that everybody was categorized as sinners through Adam, regardless, because it says right there, you know, Yes, there was people breaking the law, but actually the law is not imputed when there is not a law given. Like the law wasn't actually even judging anybody for a long time. Nobody even had the law and their sin actually wasn't being imputed against them. Nevertheless, their deeds were leading to death and they were categorized as sinners because they were born into Adam. But then I think it's in 18 verses 18 and 19. It just like gets down to brass tacks and starts talking about you are a sinner because you were born into Adam but now you've actually become righteous because you're born into God. You're, you're born into to Christ and what he's done for you. And I was like, okay, like this all checks out. This is very scriptural 
And, and that was totally a thing for me, like identifying as sinner my whole life. And that, that was leading to, you know, not having the tools to overcome these things, these thoughts that come to my mind and stuff like that. Cause in my mind, like that's who I am. Um, and now when those thoughts come in, I'm like, okay, like that's not who God's created me to be. I'm created in his image. The fact that this random, like Adam one man of the flesh is trying to resurrect himself right now. Like that yeah, dude, you were put in the grave in Christ. Like you might be trying something right now, but I don't have to listen to you. Like I can put that away, realizing that that's not my core identity. My core identity comes from my creator designer and what he says that I am. I'm I'm not sure if it's in Galatians chapter three, where Paul makes a distinction on who sinners are. And he says, it's Gentiles. He calls the yeah, Gentiles sinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anybody who is not in covenant, which the Gentiles before Jesus were not in covenant with God. And then he's describing how now that Jesus has come, even now Gentiles can be grafted into this covenant. Now they can, if they believe that there was a Jewish man who was also God and died and you died with him. If you believe, if you believe in Jesus, you are now grafted into this to his people and -hmm. now you're in covenant with him. So you're no longer a sinner Gentile. You're a righteous son based on your belief. Why? Because Romans four, because Adam or not Adam, Abraham believed and he was righteous Mm-hmm. And so it's all comes back to righteousness by faith. If you believe, what did Abraham believe? Abraham believed that God was going to make his descendants as much as the stars and that he was going to send somebody through his line that was going to save the whole world. Abraham believed it and he didn't even see it. So he's counted as righteous. Mm-hmm. We believe because <laughs> we believe differently than the first Christians that were coming along in Galatia and Ephesus. And why? Because like Paul's saying that guy from 40 years ago, he was actually God. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have any book that was written to talk about this. They just had Paul saying that this is true and explaining the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We have it all written down, right? There are eyewitnesses that saw Jesus die. And so mm-hmm. we just believe that. Mm-hmm. And we're grafted and Abraham, to his covenant. Abraham was actually believing in something he hadn't seen yet, but he was essentially believing in God he was essentially having a new covenant experience, which is why that like the new covenant was really actually around longer than, well, not, no, I don't know if I should say it that way, but the new covenant was there with Abraham in the sense that he was receiving righteousness by belief, believing in, hmm. in God. Um, the old covenant really came in to show us like our need of the new covenant. Hmm. And that's why, like, First Timothy one nine, which you know that verse says, the law was not made for the righteous; it was made for sinners to to help them to realize their need for something else. And once they come to Christ, and this might be in Galatians three, but once they come to Christ, like the law has done its job in bringing them to the one that they needed, which was Him. The old covenant, actually, um, one time when I was have you ever had at- a conversation with people about First Timothy one eight through ten? 
when they're talking about the law and you said, well, well, who's the law for? And you take them to that verse and they get angry. <laughs> I, I brought it up teaching a Sabbath school a little while ago and it caused some, it caused like some controversy in the Sabbath school room. But, uh, yeah, so let me ask you this question. We're used to hearing. What have, like when I was talking with, um, Zach on the podcast, he was describing that there was more that he had to unlearn than he had to learn. Mm. Uh, would mm. you say that that's the same for you? And if true, what are some of the things that you've had to unlearn? Uh, honestly, one of the big ones is what we've been talking about. This, the sinner mentality, the sinner identity. That was one. Um, I, I feel like, seeing that I died with Christ was something I I learned essentially. Those mm-hmm. two things for me have been pretty pivotal and I'll, I'll just tie something in that I think I kind of left a loose thread on a little while back, which was, you know, my, my picture of righteousness by faith. That was like, how passive is this thing? Where do I stand on the surfboard? I love that you said that. So we can have that as a reference point. Um, versus now, like, what is active righteousness by faith versus passive righteousness by faith? And mm-hmm. what's active now is this eye of faith that I'm talking about where sometimes my feelings do come in and they're trying to convince me of a thing. Sometimes my performance is trying to convince me that I am a sinner or I'm such and such. And it takes an active like stretching through that fog to reach out and to grab on what, onto what God has said. And so I'm not struggling anymore in the sense that I used to thinking that I'm struggling against the flesh, like the flesh is dead and done, but I am actively stretching at times to exercise this eye of faith when the eye of flesh is trying to, to speak louder. And so that Mm. you put that down and you're like, no, that's not what's true. And you have to kind of actively, like grab onto these promises and pull them in and receive them. Does that make mm. sense? Absolutely. It's, so it's also not, going it's against our former lazy ignorant. boy passive. What's that? Go yeah. ahead. No, it's just going against our former patterns and former ignorance because our former pattern was you are a sinner. And so if you mm-hmm. are a sinner, what's going to manifest in your life? Well, sin. Yeah. And so it kind of mm-hmm. gave you an excuse to sin. Now that you know, like, oh, sin has been destroyed. It has no power over me unless I give it power. Um, Now you look at it in a different way and you're like, no, I'm a slave to righteousness. So why did I do that thing? And then we just talk to our father and we say, I know you didn't create me for this. And the thing about sin is Mm -hmm. that it's, it's a bad word. It will make you believe less. It will put you in a cloud. You'll run off and put fig leaves on and hide out. Um, you shouldn't, but you do because mm-hmm. it's awful. It's just, it's just how it's, how it works. It's a lie. It doesn't mm-hmm. even exist, but it has it's a lie. And so it has you doing those things. So you have to claim the truth over, about it. You have to understand what it mm-hmm. is. And then you're like, oh, that monk doesn't have any power over me. Um, mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Yeah. One of the things you said reminded me of one of the other, the other paradigm shifts, one of the other relearning, unlearning things 
which has been my former picture of like, you know, if I fall into patterns of former ignorance, if my life is not reflecting Jesus' life, and I can see that and it's discouraging me, or if I'm like losing good habits, my devotional life has been slipping. I've been spending more time on Netflix. These things used to position me in my mind as further away from God. And now there's Mm. like a struggle to return. Like I know that I'm slipping and I know that I'm going the wrong direction at one of the, one of these days I'm going to have to turn it around and I've been sliding down the mountain. I'm going to have to climb back up a little bit. And I didn't see that as a salvation thing or an assurance shaking thing, but just kind of a discouraging thing. Like, uh, I got to get my habits back to like get my relationship with God, you know, kind of back and in good graces. And, um, now just realizing like Colossians saying you've been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. And there's Mm. no nearer that you could be brought by any of your efforts, by your devotional life, by your Netflix life. Like you can't push or pull yourself any further than where you are because you're your whole like you're in Christ. Your life was scooped mm-hmm. up into him and merged with him and he's sitting alongside God on the throne. And you're either in that by receiving it and believing it or you're not. So if you're if you're in it all, you're right next to him, like in the throne right. room. Brought brought totally near. And so that that's powerful because See, there's no level when, to it, right? There's no yeah. levels. Yes. There's no spectrum, and oh, I've slipped down the spectrum. Now I need to crawl my way back onto the other side of the spectrum. Now, okay, yeah, some days, some weeks, I'm like, oh, these habits got a little bit like shifted different than than what I would prefer. And oh, at the moment, you know what? I don't actually feel as close to God. But the eye of faith reaches through that fog and says, that has no bearing on what's real. Like you are right there. You are right next to him seated on the throne with him and just having that perspective means there's no like arduous crawl back it's like i'm back i'm i'm i never left like it was just my my perspective got off a little bit for a little while but i never stopped believing this thing so i'm still in him and as soon as you you wake up and your eyes clear up a little bit like that's that's the only time it takes to be right back in close proximity and like to be near God. And that's powerful. Like just to get rid of that, that discouragement. Cause when you're, when you see yourself down the hill, like you've slid down the hill and you have to go back and you, you're losing motivation by, you know, by your habits. Sometimes you're losing motivation to go back. And now it's like, Oh, and I, I don't even feel like climbing back up and it's easier to slip down and you feel yourself stuck in this struggle of, oh, it's going to be so hard to start climbing upwards again. Like all of that's just mm-hmm. gone now. And it, it's just like, there's just a piece, even even if my performance hasn't worked out perfectly over the last week, there's just a piece like instantly knowing I'm not crawling back, I'm transported back. It's like, beam me up, Scotty. I'm, and I, I never even left, like, because I, I never stopped Mercy. believing this thing. It got My eye just got off a little bit. So as we um, as we wrap this up, I guess my question is, what difference has this made in your 
in your day-to-day life, understanding this finished work, this freedom? Um, I really liked one of the words that Zach used in his interview with you. Um, I think it was with you, or maybe I listened to one message of his afterwards, so maybe it was that, but it was the word performance. And Hmm. the pressure, or or maybe it was, uh, no, it was um, pressure. The pressure really to perform, but it was the word pressure. Uh, That pressure, when you understand the finished work, there's no room for it. Like, there's nothing to be pressured about. If you slip up, you're slipping up in God's grace. You're covered. You're loved. You're a son. You're you're near Him. And if you're if you're you know performing great, then you realize like you're made in His image, and it's His Spirit that's living mm-hmm. inside you, and you're excited about. It. You're not self righteous about it. There's just no pressure, and like and that takes away this comparison that comparison that steals our joy and like looking at others' spiritual life and being like, well, why am I not? All of our, listen to these podcasts. Everybody's story is so different. Like it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to look like anybody's story. When you understand who you are in Christ, that none of it matters anyway. Like nobody can take away your relationship with God as a personal intimate thing between you and him. It's special. It's unique between you and him. Um, there's nothing to compare to anyway. You are fully, you're fully supplied. You're fully complete in him. It's the finished work. Man. It's beautiful, man. For so long, we're, we don't want to think it's as good as it is. But mm. when you realize that that was pride and humility mm. is just believing, no, it is as good as it is. Um, yeah, that pressure, man. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. The yeah. And I haven't off. been around you. Yeah. I haven't been around you in person for a while. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to fix that soon, but I know that you're different and it's hmm. like you, it's like you and Lauren have always been walking with the spirit but now you're lighter. Yes. Now, now it's just and more assured. It's just different. Okay. That was your question. There is one thing that I could share that um, gets kind of intimate really quick. And probably as we're probably wrapping up, right. Um, you yeah. give little parental advisory messages at the beginning sometimes. Um, sure. But I'll just be, I'll just be candid about this because it's a thing that God's done. But, it's transformed the way that I look at sex Hmm. because at one point contemplating, I'd say in our marriage um, we've had, as the world would think like a relatively, I think healthy sex life, but it's, it's pretty stereotypical in, in the sense, Alyssa's going to love that I'm talking about this, but it's pretty stereotypical (laughs) in the sense that like our libidos are not aligned (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about, well, I have like, no idea. We're not, on, we're not on the same page. And so I always would kind of question God, like, God, why did you make us that way? Like so offset from each other in that regard. And one of the things like, and I think it's come through this perspective, but it was just a thing that God like put in my heart recently. It was like, 
look at Jesus and his bride. Look at Jesus and the church and the offset of their libido for in- intimacy and how that's never stopped Jesus from like just serving, loving, and pursuing intimacy. And it's not to say that um, this is not to position Alyssa in any way. Um, it's just to say I was looking at at a sexual life through this selfish lens of what can I get out of this? Yeah. And even, even like struggling, like knowing that that wasn't right also, but not having any tools with it again is like, I would sometimes be praying to God. What does sex look like, you know, from your design? How could we be having sex in a way that like, I would be happy for you to be in the room. Like it just, it was hard to figure out. And through this, God's just like, through understanding that I'm made in his image, like understanding that I'm just made to serve. Like I'm just made to serve my wife. And that, hmm. that goes in all, all of these categories of life, but it goes in into the bedroom too. Is like, that's what that is about. Like you can go in there if, if you're really believing like God's spirit is living inside you. Other, other thoughts, other feelings might come. You just push them away, realize that they're this dead guy that's trying to come back to life. But to realize, like, if you were made in God's image, you were made to serve. And, like, that goes right into to sexual life as well. Like, you're not there for yourself in any way. You're actually there to get, like, to show value to the other person. To show them their value to you. And um, just to, to uh, you know what I'm saying? Just to serve that person. Mm-hmm. That's That's been awesome. And it's been new and it's been a shift in a mindset. And it's... It's like made it all make sense. Like the offset libido thing is like, oh, this is this is like putting me in the perfect place. Like it's in the same place that Christ would be. And like I get to be like the Christ to my household. Like it's an awesome privilege to be to be able to, I don't know, be in that position. And just serving no, generally man, that's, in life. That's that's awesome when when we figure out like he this is not about getting our name in a book as dan moeller would say he's like this isn't about getting your name in the book and getting to some place someday this is about Mm -hmm. being transformed Mm -hmm. and before we were waiting to be transformed and now we're just oh i am a new creation Mm -hmm. the old is gone behold the new has come and now we're believing that mm-hmm. and our lives are being changed. Um, yeah. If you're listening we were to this right now and you're questioning, I'm sorry, yeah. buddy. I just cut you off. I'm just going to just throw in there because people might be listening to this and be like, I don't know. Am I, if you're listening to this and you're questioning, like, am I changed? Am I, that's the feelings that are coming up, creating the fog. That's what you have to reach through with the eye of faith or with the arm of faith or whatever you want to call it, like reach through and grab onto what God's word is saying about you rather than those feelings. Cause those are what will trip you up. And it takes some, some time and exercising it to realize like you don't have to succumb to those feelings. That that's not what I did. Just cause you're feeling that doesn't mean you're not getting it. Doesn't mean you're not it. You are it. And you can push those feelings aside and just believe it. Mercy. I'm well, sorry, I know we could talk for 
No, you're good, man. I know we could talk for two more hours. And you know what? Who knows what this podcast is going to look like one day? Um, we might have to come back and talk some more because, I mean, there's so much that we haven't even we haven't even covered. But, man, I love love your heart, man. And I know that it's good. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. This has been a huge blessing to me. Uh, thank you. The podcast has been huge blessing to me too. I love, love listening to all this and I love you brother. And I'm just thankful that God's put this on your heart. It's been big blessing. Stay alive, hey. Mm-hmm.